We were talking about that uh, WeChat ban, potential WeChat ban, WeChat getting lumped into the TikTok stuff that was going on, and uh, just the significance of that, mm-hmm. the size of that user base, the importance, the utilitarian aspect of that app in China. It got people thinking, Will. It got people thinking about the potential impact of a WeChat ban and how that might be different than the ban of TikTok. Mm-hmm. The effect that many are curious about is what may, what might take place in China as far as sentiment and purchase intent towards iPhones in the presence of a WeChat ban. The thinking here is that WeChat being gone off the App Store, if that is the thing that takes place because of this uh, recent order coming via Trump, if that app is not on the App Store in China, nobody's going to buy an iPhone. That's the thinking. That's the threat. Hmm. That WeChat is that important, that it's more important than which phone you use. And as we spoke about on a previous episode, if you're on Android... And there's some app that you want that isn't in the official app store. There's, it's very easy to get it onto your phone through sideloading. And on iOS, it's not impossible. On iOS, you could jailbreak your device, but most users don't want to do that. That's just too many steps. Yes. And the other important piece about Android is most people in China aren't even using the Google Play Store. Mm-hmm. They're using some alternative uh, app repository and many manufacturers like Huawei, they have their very own app store there. Right. And that's how you get your APKs. Yeah. So it's really this WeChat situation really impacts Apple a lot more than it does Android. And Apple was just showing good numbers in China. Mm -hmm. They came out and said, look, we're one of two companies that grew in China in this Terrible quarter. Mm. Us and Huawei. And we're an American brand. Mm-hmm. We're doing all right. And then you got to come and bring this WeChat thing, spoil the, spoil the mood. Because here's the thing, Will. Even if that ban, the WeChat ban, doesn't remove the app from the app store in China. Let's say it removes the app everywhere else. Or let's say it removes the, the app within the U.S. There's certainly going to be some kind of a fear for you as a Chinese customer that if WeChat's really important to you, this probably isn't the platform you want to be on just mm-hmm. because of the potential mm-hmm. that something like this could take place. So our pal Ming-Chi Kuo comes out and says, look, this WeChat thing goes through, shipments of iPhone could decline 25 to 30%. That's huge. That's the whole Chinese market for them, mm-hmm. really. He's basically saying not a single person will buy an iPhone in China if they can't insta- easily install WeChat on it. Mm-hmm. And for a quick refresher, WeChat, enormous communication app within China, billion users, probably a few more than that. This is where you're going to message your pals. It's where you're going to pay for things. It's where you're going to catch the news your it's a, bank account is tied it's going to be tied to your bank account yeah. it's going to it's going to have more of your identity than you do 
and and just again in the recap mode from a previous episode when i'm in china when i was in china the last time it was a while ago people were just saying just set up a wechat because we can't even get in touch with you that's the way people look at the significance of wechat now you do have whatsapp you can there are plenty of workarounds but it is such a standard communication application in china that you can understand the potential for it to be a major major thing if this is out of the app store globally mm -hmm. now no one knows if that's going to happen for certain but the speculation has been enough to plunge the share price of a variety of apple suppliers in hong kong and it's also actually bringing down apple's stock ever so slightly it's con potentially contributing because apple's stock post earnings was flying high it was it was just booming i mean you see that peak over there and then in the last uh, few days, including, well, over the weekend, it took a little dip, took a little dive. Well, what is it? It's down 3.5% uh, in the last five days. We will wait to see what happens. I don't know if Trump can do what he is suggesting he'll do. I really don't know. Can he apply enough pressure to Apple to say, hey, when a Chinese government asks you to remove 300 apps, you do it. Mm. But Apple does that in China. Not necessarily in the US. Mm -hmm. They do already run these alternative app stores in that sense. Mm -hmm. So if Trump called up Cook and said, I want this app out of your app store everywhere you do business, do they have to say okay? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how intertwined these these things are and what kind of lobbying and handshakes and elbow touches could take place. Mm -hmm. See, I don't know. I don't think a lot of people do right now. There's a ton of speculation going on, but the but one thing we can all agree upon, the significance is massive and it's expanding. And it's expanding at a rapid pace because at one moment you talk about TikTok, but if you apply the same concept, if you apply it across the board, why TikTok? Why TikTok? What, are we going to end it at TikTok? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a list of apps while those lists are out there. It would seem that if you can have traction, if you can successfully execute this ban on TikTok, and you know what else is interesting, Will? The TikTok deal, the early negotiations, what we all saw was that the countries getting listed weren't just the U.S. That would be part of a potential sale to Microsoft. You saw Canada in there. You saw New Zealand. You saw Australia. I don't remember the whole list. Why? Why? If, you, if all you had to do is just not do business in the U.S., if the U.S. is the only place causing you problems, why are you going to cut a deal for all these other markets? Yeah, some sort of strategic move for allegiance, maybe? Well, maybe it's because inside those... The potential suitor companies inside there, they're sitting there saying, well, if Trump bans this thing, it's possible that these other like-minded governments or governments in, in similar scenarios, much like what happened with Huawei, could follow suit. So, we, there, so there's a need here to also get rid of those services or sell those services in those places where the same thing might take place. Yeah. It's a weird 
domino effect. Once one major world government bans a thing, all the others look at it and say, should we be going over this with a fine-tooth comb right now? We don't want to look like idiots. Right. We don't want to look like we didn't do our work. Yeah. So we're going to just take a microscope to it that we wouldn't have otherwise. So anyways, uh, yes, some stocks are affected, including uh, Luxshare Precision Industry. 55% of its income comes from Apple. That They plunged 7.7%. Uh, Gore-Tec, a producer of AirPods wireless earbuds, fell 1.6%. Hong Kong listed AAC Technologies, which counts on Apple for 40% of its revenue, dived 5.6%. I mean, the list goes on. So there is a there is a fear about this. The WeChat thing appears to be big, Will, mm-hmm. and we we now wait and see what Apple will do to resist this, and if they even have to follow this order. I believe that's up to them. We'll see though. Yeah. U.S. China trade war. Why every Chinese phone maker should prepare for the worst coming via Android Authority. This is further along what I was just talking about. Yeah. Why and where does this end? For real, right? If the thinking is, because as far as the granular detail is concerned, oh, leaky data, data leaving the country, not good, right? If we, if everybody buys into the pitch, leaky data, no good. Not uh, uh, anything other than domestic data, not good. Let's say everybody buys into it in the United States, huge market. Why is one Chinese phone brand immune and another one is not? Right. Why? Now, I understand in a Huawei case, they were mostly focusing on the 5G networks. That's where it started. But you telling me you boot up some other Chinese branded phone or any phone for that matter? You know how you get data flying left and right? You're telling me, you're telling me if it's Oppo, if it's Xiaomi, if it's what? There's pre-installed apps. Yep. Maybe one plus to a lesser extent, but then we saw the Facebook thing on the recent post. Hmm. I mean, these people have to service these devices. There's some sort of a tie-in that has to be, there has to be some kind of a tie-in with the place of origin in which your the company you're doing business with is located. Yeah, it just seems like right now. Huawei is the biggest, so obviously we got to take down the giant first. Well, here's the one that a lot of people forget: ZTE. Yeah, ZTE got huge, but they got wiped out in the U.S. Yeah, they were part of that. They had the big sponsorship, weren't they? They had uh, Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry, and and they got wiped out maybe even earlier than Huawei. Then Huawei came next, and sure enough, whatever internally they run their investigations, they uncover certain information or details that allows them to. Or to make the moves they make or encourages them to make the moves they make. But I'm saying with this amplified scrutiny, it makes you ask some questions. It makes you really wonder about where the line is drawn. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, this includes many of your favorite, this is all your favorite brands. Well, there's a lot of them in there. OnePlus, TCL, Oppo, Xiaomi, Vivo. There's just, I mean, it's a tremendous number of brands. And here's the thing, Will. Because all these brands are so reliant on Google, Google is the, as far as you'd have to go. All you'd have to do is, just like in Huawei's case, they just said, hey, Google, 
we don't think you should do business with them. That that's enough to put a massive dent. Now, Huawei's domestic business in China is just fine. Those other companies actually are struggling in in China a little bit compared to Huawei. Mm-hmm. But the Google piece really puts in question their glo- the global appeal and the potential for uh, any sales outside of China. Mm. Again, Android's pretty open ended. You can find ways around it. You can get your side load on. But it's just not something that the average customer wants to do. It's not It's not the sort of loops they want to jump through. So if Google tightened their restrictions, if Google decided to get on the side of some of these potential planned actions or gets forced into it, and again, it's up for grabs what the actual amount of authority that exists there for them to do something like this, but if Google bounces in any way, you can can kiss it all goodbye. And I'll tell you what, Will. Mm. Google sells phones themselves, don't they? Yeah. Hardware and software. They sell a couple phones as well themselves. Now, I'm not saying they want to let it all go, but Google sells a few phones. Samsung sells a few, few phones. Where's Samsung based? Mm. Samsung closed up all their factories in China. Mm-hmm. Where's Samsung based? Oh, I don't know. Korea, India, Vietnam, everywhere but China. Everywhere but so it's not like the options for Android users completely evaporate. I'm not... Look, look competition has pushed things big time, mm-hmm. right? These players that I just mentioned, these brands that I just mentioned, there's a good... There's a high likelihood that what they brought to the table put a better product in your pocket, even if you didn't buy one of their products. Yes. Or it saved you a few bucks because everyone people were forced to compete with it. We got a $350 pixel. Would that have happened without these brands I just mentioned? Right. It's competition. Competition is good. Willie Do. There you go. It's Willie Do. So we'll see what happens with that one as well. But uh, yeah, man, I don't know how I feel if I'm a Chinese phone manufacturer who depends on Western markets and India. I got to be a bit nervous at this moment mm-hmm. and not just being real. I got to be thinking about, damn, this all this stuff coming down the pipeline. It's not looking great. I'm not saying there's any reason. Well, just to be clear, full disclaimer, I'm not saying there's anything shady over there. I don't have this investigation in front of me. What I'm saying is the speculation alone is enough to start to cause problems. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, Apple's attempting to claw back, uh, <laughs> claw back some of their cash here because they're afraid of uh potentially losing 20 percent in china so this is this is their plan for how to recoup it to of course i'm joking to sue a little company that has a pair for their logo which they say is too similar to theirs and you can obviously see the image there you can decide for yourself if that's similar prepare is an app that helps users discover recipes plan meals make lists and arrange grocery deliveries. And it's called Prepare. Get it? It's kind of a fun name. Yeah. Prepare. And the logo's a pair. It's a hollow pair in green. And Apple decided to oppose and go after their small business, saying that the pair logo is too close to their Apple logo and supposedly hurts their brand. The post goes on to describe the action as a big blow to us at Prepare, and sets out the intention to retain the original logo and send a message to big tech companies that bullying small businesses has consequences. So, uh, 
pre prepare has said you know we're gonna we're not gonna go down without a fight i guess we're gonna try our best they got a petition going on i mean it's not gonna be easy will <laughs> mm. try to go up against apple i think apple has a few lawyers a few dollars mm-hmm. prepare on the other hand they're a small business with a uh, five team members oh, so man. we'll see how it goes they're for them their small. petition has oh, nine thousand signatures they're looking for ten thousand let's load up the petition real quick oh they're way beyond that now at the time of this uh, video, uh, this broadcast, they're up to twenty-eight thousand signatures. So nobody likes it, mm. and I don't. I don't look. I don't know. Maybe if it was exactly the same thing, but I say in this case, Apple, chill, chill out a bit. No, Will, am I crazy? What do you say? You're you're not crazy. I agree with them. Apple, chill. Yeah, Apple should chill. Apple, sh- Apple should chill. This little prepare company, they're stressing out. They got this pair logo. I don't know. Does Apple only need them to change the logo or are they just dead completely? Let's see what it says over here. Let's just go back real quick. I don't think they're dead completely. Apple has opposed the trademark application for our small business. I see. So they can keep doing business. It's just they can't create a trademark, which could be a problem for their business, obviously. Demanding that we change our obviously pear-shaped logo used to represent our brand in the recipe management and meal planning business. Most small businesses cannot afford the tens of thousands of dollars it would cost to fight Apple. So this is one of those stories, Will, where Apple probably opposes all kinds of different trademarks that are similar to theirs, and it never turns into anything. But here you have this company, Prepare. They uh, get a couple, a little bit of press on Mac Rumors and wherever else. They get a little petition going. And now it's curious to see, does Apple back down and say, hey, there's a bad press. We got 35,000 signatures. It's a news story. Mm. My suggestion would be for Apple to do so. But it also uh, could be problematic because then people might get real close to their logo and we, we have to end up over here all over again. I'm not yeah. saying the pair is too close for the record. No, no. I mean. What about when you see it in black, though? Scroll down just a touch. When you see it in black, how about that? Still no. no. I, I don't see it. Mm-hmm. But Can we agree that it's a fruit? That they are both a fruit? Even this, I mean, it doesn't, it does look like a fruit, but the way, like it's hollow. And right, right. The, the line. Let me ask you this. Does the leaf not... on the pear look like the cutout from the bite of the apple? Oh, the bite? Yeah. I was thinking the leaf up here. Okay. Like, no. I was thinking it was more the shape of the bite. Either way, it's not the same thing. They're yeah. both fruits, and that's about that. Yeah. <clears throat> Why you should stop sending SMS messages even on Apple iMessage. You send any SMS messages, Will? Very rarely. Really? Yeah. Almost? Eh, no. <laughs> I don't think so. You don't send any SMS? Uh, not that I can recall. Not lately. I feel like I've sent you an SMS, like at some point. Oh, you sent me an SMS. I've sent. I feel like I've sent you an SMS. That's because you couldn't get through me through Slack. I feel like you. <laughs> I feel like you might have replied with an SMS. Uh, yeah. Yo, let me true. tell you something about that little exchange. It's not encrypted, Will. It's not. That could have been intercepted. Who's watching? Well, there's a lot of people. Who knows what you and I might SMS to one another? Uh. I don't even remember what we were talking about. It's guaranteed useless. But to somebody, it's very valuable. Yeah. 
data mining. SMS is old, is antiquated. A lot of people don't realize when they're on iMessage, sometimes they're sending an SMS, sometimes they're sending uh, an encrypted message. Yes, iMessage is encrypted end-to-end, but not if you send an SMS with the green bubble. And this comes back to the whole green bubble, blue bubble Mm. type of judgment and prejudice that's going on here. But there is something to the superiority of a messaging platform that is encrypted end-to-end. That means you hold the key. You're, you you and your device are the only place to get the other end of that message, to, to, to receive what has been transmitted hmm. and to transmit what shall be received. You see how that goes, Will? Sure. Encryption is good for messaging, for privacy, and all the rest of it, you're well aware. Facebook Messenger offers encryption as an option. WhatsApp, on the other hand, by default. So, obviously, iMessage can be a problem because it's only on iOS, and most of the world is not on iOS, so people are looking for encrypted platforms in which to communicate. Hmm. WhatsApp, even though it's owned by Facebook, it's, it's, uh, it, it is still fully encrypted, unlike Facebook Messenger out of the box. Like I said, there's an option to encrypt your messaging on Facebook Messenger. Uh, there are other applications that have have made some news and why am i forgetting the names the names right now what are what are the popular secure messaging apps oh yeah signal of course signals another one they put a big emphasis on the encryption process but one of the problems with messaging apps is that you need other people to want to use the messaging app right. and people have whatsapp globally mm-hmm. tremendous whatsapp you uh, 2 billion in fact well yeah. it's that's not nothing so you must use whatsapp yourself i would assume oh yeah yeah, so you're encrypted end-to-end. We, uh, oh, as long as you trust goodness. Facebook, you're encrypted end-to-end. Now, on iOS, the issue is people understanding how their messages differ. I think there's probably a large percentage of the install base that doesn't know the difference between an SMS and an iMessage. Some people take it way too seriously, obviously, but others may just send messages, and uh, regardless of the bubble color, not knowing that there is such a thing as a superior iMessage, which of course is iMessage to iMessage. Mm. It needs to be in order to get the full security. Google is going to do it, Will. It's a matter of time, and it's kind of, it's a bit late to the party, to be honest. Where you at, Google? Get your encryption together. Google's Android operating systems, uh, uh, default, the default messaging apps are mostly resorting to SMS. Still now, Google's got to get some sick messaging app put together. You got to mm-hmm. figure it out. And uh, they they have, by the way, been working on it and updated, and they have plans of doing so. But it's still not on a, it's still not on that level. But it would be nice to have that out of the gate. Mm-hmm. The problem being, once again, you need other people to adopt it and be on the same version and to to not fall back into the SMS uh, pit of doom. Because that's what happens once they get a hold of your text messages. Oh, well, they, we were close to death with the SMS message over there. Yeah, they yeah they they'll extort you all the way down into the, a pit of doom over the type of stuff you that you would send on a text message. Yeah. So, be careful out there, you you crazy youngsters with your SMS. Mm. SMS goes way back. It's old. It's terrible. The telco intercepts it. It doesn't go straight to the recipient. It's uh, it was a necessary thing, but 
we can move past it. It's kind of cool, though. I, I have some good memories of SMS. I remember on Twitter, you originally had to tweet via SMS. Oh, yeah. That's pretty wild. Anyway, from now on, Will, me and you, it's a WhatsApp signal. You better stop with all that SMS. All right. right. Uh, speaking of WhatsApp, they are finally going to add a feature that is an absolute necessity and one of the reasons I'm less likely to use the app and select for others. There's no multi-device support. It's one device only. Well, I understand that's kind of a nice thing from a security perspective. One device, one opportunity to unlock the message being sent your way. And there was a web application, but the web application had to maintain a connection. The phone had to be yes. connected to the web and then you would could see it on your laptop or desktop. I've used it a few times. Eh. No. It's not the cleanest type of thing. And and like you said, they both have to be active. It's not true multi-device support. And so WhatsApp has known that this is a feature that many would like to see. And so they are currently working on it. You can you will eventually be able to use your WhatsApp account from four devices at the same time. It's under development. So you could imagine you could have a tablet, you could have a laptop, you could have a phone, you could have two phones. Mm -hmm. so sometimes I there's a lot of phones around here. Right. And sometimes it's a headache and I'll totally, you know, I'll just be working with a phone for a while and forget that I didn't have WhatsApp installed. Then I'll go to install WhatsApp and realize I have to disconnect the right. other phone for it's like, oh my God. Yeah, hopefully they would come up with a system where all the devices are shown and then you can just disconnect whenever. That'd be UI. nice. That'd be really nice yeah. to have a few on the go at any given time. This is an advantage that a, an application like iMessage would have right now mm -hmm. across different devices. You get it pop up on your, well, you'd have to have a MacBook, but mm -hmm. pop up on your MacBook, potentially your iPad. Actually, speaking of iPad, they're also working on a dedicated iPad app, WhatsApp. So they want to be your messaging service. They already are for about 2 billion people. Mm -hmm. And this is only going to increase the usefulness of their app if they're uh, capable of, of having it on multiple devices. That would be awesome. I presume part of the delay is around security and encryption. But this is a, this is a necessary thing to take the app to the next level. Qualcomm wants Huawei's phone chipset business I think you probably remember a recent story about how it was kind of RIP to the Kirin chip. Yeah, That's they only it. have like a month's supply left. Yeah, or something it's just like going to be the, the Mate 40, I believe, will be the last device to ship with it. And it'll be the best one they've ever made. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it'll be the best chip they've ever made, but it'll be the last of a, uh, the last of a dying breed. Yeah. I love that saying, the last of a dying breed. It sounds so rare, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. It's like Otis. Otis is the last of a dying breed. You'll never find another Otis. No, don't say that. No, I'm saying you'll never find another one. Like, he's that special. Well, yeah, I, I, I can see. But uh, but he'll never die. Don't worry. That's not the case. Otis is immortal. It's not what I meant, Will. No. You got it's all scary. upset. You're shedding a tear over there. Yeah. Mobile chip-making giant Qualcomm has petitioned the U.S. government to let it provide smartphone chipsets to Huawei the China-based technology tech telecommunications giant. The rationale is solid by cutting off the firm, which makes more smartphones than any other company besides Samsung, the U.S.-based technology firms. The government is taking $8 billion in revenues from them every, every year. So Qualcomm is saying that 
that this is money that could be making its way back to the U.S. if they're allowed to sell these chipsets to Huawei. Well, you know who Qualcomm is, Will. Mm-hmm. Qualcomm, they make some chipsets, I'll tell you what. A little bit of a Snapdragon? Yeah, there's a couple snappy dragons mm. over there. And so you can imagine you could have some compelling Huawei devices. They get this stuff sorted out with Google. They get the Snapdragon chips in there. Who needs the Kirin? They can rebrand it if they want to. And everybody's real interested because we know what Qualcomm's capable of. Well, Qualcomm says, why let somebody else build those chips? They're going to keep selling these phones. Why let somebody else build those chips, Mr. Trump? We could bring $8 billion to the country. Mm -hmm. That's the petition. That's what they're saying right now. Now, whether or not it's received that way remains to be seen. It might be a deal that Trump likes a lot. It might be a deal that he absolutely hates. He could say, well, no, because then you're enabling their tech. Right. But it is important to note that at this time, the actual handsets outside of a number of government agencies are not actually banned to use in the U.S. You had the 5G networks that they were disputing. Here, we still have Huawei advertising on uh, hockey, on NHL. Yeah. They're still doing it. And their laptops are still And they're still doing it without the App Store, the Play Store. Mm Mm-hmm. They're saying, use the app gallery or whatever they yes, call it. Right gallery. on hockey, on the NHL, whatever their tournament, playoffs, whatever, this road to the Stanley Cup, whatever they're calling hockey right now. In the bubble. Yeah. So the devices are one side of it. The 5G network is another side of it. But the Google thing has kind of nerfed the devices. And of course, losing their ability to do business with TSMC has nerfed their chips going forward after the May 40. So you can imagine this could be mutually beneficial. Qualcomm would love this. Huawei would love this. Trump will probably need a cut. Trump would need a cut. Yeah. Well, bringing $8 billion into the country, if he could claim that he was responsible for it, mm. then then that could be good politics. The cut piece for the Treasury, I think, is his way of suggesting that he's bringing this value to the country. Mm-hmm. But the problem being is if those devices at any point turn out to be sending data the wrong places yeah. or come under any degree of scrutiny, then it's a bad look because you enabled it by supplying the chips. Right. And so for the time being, the rule seems to be if it works one way for Google, they're an Amer- American company, they would want to supply Google Play services to those devices and they can't. So why should it work for Qualcomm? Uh, We'll see what takes place, but it's not impossible at this point that you could see an upcoming Snapdragon Huawei flagship. Hmm. That could be kind of cool. Amazon is looking at turning empty mall space into fulfillment centers. Huge property company Simon Property has a bunch of empty real estate, post-COVID real estate, as you might expect. Well, the retail apocalypse was already happening, and then this whole thing just expedited the process. Companies like JCPenney, Sears before that, you remember all the empty Sears? I mean, we got enough yeah. empty Sears over here and uh, and uh, around the entire North America. Sears kind of uh, evaporated. JCPenney, there's a couple of others. It's just this increasing uh, bankruptcy going on for many retailers. Toys R Us was a big... Big, I'm talking big uh, sections of malls. Yeah. What did they call? Usually they cover the corners. Yeah, What they have a name for that. Anchors. They they are the anchor Anchor stores stores of the mall that who knows what they're going to be in the future. And it kind of wrecks the mall to a certain degree when they're empty. 
Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about a story not that long ago. You can go find the clip if you want where a company was proposing to turn those anchor stores into apartments, actual oh, right, living yeah. quarters that you could go and interface with the bottom of the mall and you eat at the restaurant. We tried to imagine what Willie Doo's life might look like living in, an, in, a, in a mall in an apartment. Mm-hmm. We tried to imagine it. And it seemed okay, but you were looking for more grass. Oh, yeah. For, uh, for Otis. Yeah, you were looking for more grass. But they, you know, it's better than it being empty. And I can imagine with the amenities post-COVID, when you don't have to be so worried, you go to the cafe, you go up to the place, to back to your apartment. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's not bad. I don't know. I'm just, you know. It works out. You get know. a little community vibe there. But this is far-fetched. Like, this is not going to work for a lot of malls that aren't in the best locations. And mm-hmm. Some malls might be candidates for this, but others are just going to have these vast concrete slabs mm. at the corners of their mall really taking it down, tearing it down a notch. Mm. It's not good, that vacant look. They have to build it uh, welcoming, inviting, maybe have like a grass on the rooftop or something well they, they can they could provide more amenities but the problem there is they're not generating revenue they just keep pumping more amenities you have to make up for it by raising the rent prices for everyone else yeah. so if sears goes you, presumably they're paying the biggest price in the whole mall mm-hmm. they have the most square footage they go the entire existence of the mall is in jeopardy now mm-hmm. whether it can continue with that anchor those department stores gone or if they need to rework the whole thing so they got to get some type of revenue back anyway amazon would be amazing fit wouldn't it mm-hmm. you put amazon into those old sears or jc penny stores and they act as fulfillment centers potentially pick up spots or just kind of like partial warehouse fulfillment situations right. maybe with a pickup desk and uh that would improve logistics in the regions that they do business as well. Like a lot of cities and towns have these malls sitting there. Why go get warehouse space? The mall can cut you a deal. They're making nothing on it right now. Mm -hmm. The mall cuts you something close to a warehouse price or maybe a discount on the retail price. Now it brings people to your mall because they're going to do their pickups there every so often. Mm -hmm. They might not be at home or it's just more convenient. They might go get a bite to eat at the same moment. Yep. Your other businesses do better. Your rent prices go up. I think I'm talking about business right now. Mm. I think that's what I'm... I feel like that's where I'm going here. So there's a proposal, apparently. It's kind of shrouded. It's kind of a little bit unknown at the moment, but there's a proposal. Simon Property Group, Inc. has been in talks with Amazon.com about turning its department store sites into Amazon fulfillment centers. The two companies have explored converting retail space formerly occupied by JCPenney and Sears Holdings Corp into Amazon distribution centers, while in some cases, Simon and Amazon explored buying out occupied space from the retailers. So it could go one of two ways. They could lease these spaces like a typical retailer would, or they could force the landlord to sell them that section. Mm -hmm. And maybe for whatever reason, Amazon prefers to be in the property ownership business. I don't really know how it will work out, but imagine a futuristic streamlined you know how efficient amazon is at figuring things out mm-hmm. if you could pop in and pop out real quick those situations you need a cable you need whatever you might need yep and it's ready to go at the pickup counter you just fly in there boom 
and it's safe like it's not out on your front porch i see package. for an expensive uh product yes well done it's just right there and you just pick it up whenever you you have the time so lovely lovely or you need or someone else can pick it up yeah and it's at the mall everyone goes to the mall it's at and the it's mall brings people to the mall so the mall wins go. amazon wins everybody wins Congress doesn't win. But Trump <laughs> definitely wins. <laughs> uh, Trump might win. I don't know. Congress might have some questions. Now yeah, you're right. in the malls, Jeff? Don't you have enough? What's going on over here? Jeff, you bought all the properties. You bought the newspaper. Now you're in the malls, Jeff? Yeah. Twitter looking at possible TikTok tie-up. Twitter's now in the mix for the TikTok mm. acquisition, not just Microsoft. Important to note, uh, Twitter is way smaller than Microsoft. Way smaller. It's like a thirty billion dollar market. Is it difference? Yeah, twenty nine billion dollar market capitalization. Microsoft is one point six T. Yeah, well, hmm. I don't even want to say it because I know you might get too fired up, and then I can't settle you down after hmm. if I say that word, the T word. So it would be. I mean, we've talked about potential TikTok valuations as high as thirty billion. So how you, what are you going to do, to, uh, Twitter? How are you going to get the money? Well, you're going to have to secure some more funds or you're going to have to set up some sort of an agreement, maybe uh, bring on, bring in some other investors. I don't know what you do. Right. It's not impossible. What's funny about Twitter coming into the mix for the TikTok acquisition is that they had something so similar in Vine, which they just squashed. No one really fully knows why. <clears throat> they were never monetized it. Everyone left to go to YouTube. There's all kinds of stories about the uh, the death of Vine. Mm -hmm. And then people said, why don't you just bring Vine back? And now you're talking about buying TikTok. But it doesn't really matter because really what you're buying at this point is a user base. Mm. And when Vine was taking off, it was already kind of tied up with Twitter in the sense that there probably was a lot of shared user base. Now TikTok has taken it to a whole nother, to the stratosphere which is above or below the atmosphere? Willie below. Do. Do, 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 Troposphere is the lowest. And it's right below the stratosphere. So it's higher. Get it together, Will. Yeah. Okay. It's part of the atmosphere. <laughs> right? You never know when I'm going to hit you. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Twitter kind of makes sense because they're not enormous. So you can't bring the anti-competitive stuff, the Congress stuff. Twitter's user base is way smaller than all those other guys. And they're... they're uh, Market capitalization, they're just not doing the amount of business. They're not as diversified. Although Jack Dorsey has the Square product and he's doing other things too. Yeah. But still, Twitter itself, Square product, Cash App. Mm -hmm. But still, Twitter itself, not as enormous as Microsoft or Facebook or who else? Google, any of these other uh, players here. So it would fit right into Twitter kind of nicely if they could figure out the money. They would also have to satisfy the stuff with the government to get the deal put through. And who knows, would Trump wanting to take a piece 
Can Twitter afford it? Is really a big part of the question. Can can Twitter afford TikTok? Yeah, and it would have to be a buyout. It can't be like some sort of partnership. No, because yeah, the government wouldn't go for it. The government has these uh, stringent rules, 45 days to cut a deal. Maybe I'll ask the audience on this one. I don't even know how you feel about TikTok. But if you were, uh, if you cared at all, would you prefer for TikTok to be purchased by Microsoft or Twitter? Hmm. Which is the better idea? You let me know in the comments. Bill Gates is making some news for his comments on TikTok. Now, it's important to, to, to remember he's no longer the CEO of Microsoft or anything like that. Mm. He left a long time ago, 2014. He's, uh, you know what, he's, he's whatever, philanthropy and interviews and uh, vaccines he's into. and he's turning poop into water. Poop Fresh into water. water. I mean, he's, he keeps making, he's got all kinds of things to say about COVID. He got into, he had a mini beef with uh, Elon over COVID talk. So he's still, he's out there and he's active, but just less so with Microsoft. Now, of course he cares about Microsoft. Of course he benefits still from Microsoft, even though he doesn't have that title anymore. He's tied up with their success. And so he did this Wired interview going over a bunch of different stuff, including what he thinks of US-based COVID tests. But the TikTok piece that stood out to me, which is interesting for the topic that we're talking about here, is he called the TikTok a poisoned chalice. Mm. How about that? I mean, this just sounds like medieval. This is yeah. Game of Thrones type stuff. Mm. Now, I actually had to look that up, that saying. I can imagine what it means, but I wanted to be clear on it. So I had my own Jeopardy moment. And the definition of poison chalice, an assignment, award, or honor, which is likely to prove a disadvantage or source of problems to the recipient. So he goes on to say... And let me just, I got to find the actual moment in the interview. Yes, it's a poison chalice. Being big in the social media business is no simple game like the encryption issue. So what he's, what I believe he's saying here is that, yeah, it would be a sweet deal to get TikTok. It's tremendously successful. But let's not forget, it's going to be a difficult ride for whoever acquires it to maintain the popularity that it has had, especially given all the press that's currently taking place, and to maintain relevancy in general up against the absolute gargantuan Facebook types that are out there. Like, social media is not... Google failed at social media in the form of Google+. Although I can, I think YouTube is sort of social media as well. But at least in the form of Google Plus, they said, nah, we're out. <laughs> we can't. Twitter barely makes any money up until recent. Mm. They couldn't figure out profits for a long time. It's the social media game, hard game, tough game. And Microsoft, yeah, they have the LinkedIn piece. They gave up on Mixer. Do they want to be in this kind of popular content business? It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very floaty, who knows where it's going. Yeah. Who can put their finger on why something is trendy and for how long? Snapchat was the only thing that mattered to young people. Five minutes later, TikTok. Are you dancing right now? Yes, uh, that's a TikTok dance move. I've seen TikTok. Okay. Yeah, it looks uh, 
funny without the music there. But. I just hit the mic. Well, he made a comment about the dance moves as well. Uh, Bill Did he Gates. Dance too? He was having some fun with it. Oh, okay. The question was as you are the technology advisor to Microsoft, I think you can look forward in a few months to fighting this battle yourself when the company owns TikTok. And then he said, jokingly, yeah, my, crit my critique of dance moves will be fantastically value added for them. It's like a snarky, mm. that's a snarky, I don't know how to dance. TikTok is dance moves. It's a snarky. And then the, the reporter from Wired gets very serious as a reporter would and says, TikTok is more than just dance moves. There's political content. Wow. And he said it in that voice. And then that's when the next comment came out and Gates had to say, I know, I'm kidding. Like, <laughs> can we please, can we chill a little bit? I thought that we were having, I thought this, this was going to sipping my, I'm trying to sip my Earl Grey over here. <laughs> and, you're, and, and all of a sudden, TikTok is more than just dance moves. There's political content. Once there's political content, then it's serious stuff. Yeah. Yes, once you're when you're a reporter, I'm just joking around myself. Relax. I'm not trying to take any shots. That's what you're supposed to say as a reporter. You got to get to the bottom of it. Right. It's not easy being a reporter uh, interviewing Bill Gates. Mm. This is a tough, tough gig. I just have to sit here with you, Will and Otis. It's not a big deal. You know. You sure about that? Yeah, you know what? It's tough some days. I gotta be honest with you. Anyway, yeah, TikTok is poison. According to Bill Gates, <laughs> but not in the way that TikTok haters would like him to have said it. They right. just say it's poison, period, mm. because of the content. He's saying it's poison. It's poisoned because, yes, it's a wonderful thing in the sense that it's been tremendously successful, but it's, he believes it's going to be difficult to keep it successful. Mm -hmm. Staying power is the tough one, Will. Yep. Exclusive. Reuters.com, India data curb plan, anathema, U.S. tech giants plan pushback. That's a headline that you have no idea about. You read that headline, Will, and you're like, what, are, what exactly is happening here? It's a cool name. India is planning to regulate non-personal data. Regulate in the sense that it must be shared. It cannot be privately protected. Non-personal. Non-personal. Now, it's I don't know, but yeah, it's in quotations. What is considered to be non-personal? What, which of my data is non-personal? Maybe anonymous data, like location data. Right. Anyway, the point being is there is tremendous amount of anonymous data as well, which is useful to companies, marketers and whoever else, but maybe, maybe it doesn't have a name attached to it. Uh, the tech giants, the U.S. tech giants are not happy about this. They just poured a boatload of money into India, billions of dollars, and their business is data, Will. Data, protecting and owning data, your data, all data, anonymous data, data hmm. is currency. And so they're sitting there saying, what do you mean? We got to share certain portions of it, our proprietary collection methods, and we're going to just spit those out and send them around to anybody who wants them because... You feel that it's it's more competitive to do so. See, so this is it's kind of a similar co to Congress thing, where it's an anti-competitive mm -hmm. idea or a protection against anti-competitiveness to say, look, if any one player gets a hold of all this data, that they, they could really corner the thing, and then there's no way around it. Yeah. You're gonna stifle upstarts who just can't overcome 
the data discrepancy. Imagine you right now try to overcome the data discrepancy. Imagine you right now, Willie Do, were like, I'm going to start an online advertising ad delivery business to compete with Google. And Google already knows everything about everyone who's of a certain age, who lives in a certain place, who has a certain name, who does a certain thing, who eats breakfast with a fork. I'm just going to sign up to Google. You're going to sign up. It's going to work with them. You're, yeah, you're not going to, it's going to be a tough no gig, point. man. And so anyway, that's kind of what this is against, but it's it's pretty deep. The uh, The panel proposed a mechanism for firms to share data with other entities, even competitors saying this would spur the digital ecosystem. The report, if adopted by the government, will form the basis of a new law to regula regulate such data. In other words, certain data would even have to be shared between different operators, like Facebook would have to share with Google, would have to share with local upstarts. They'd have to, you could tap into that data right. with whatever your business idea was or to potentially undercut those other services. Some sort of open source... Now set. they would say, we did the work, we collected it, we did yeah. the mining, what do you mean? And that's the way that American firms look at data. Mm -hmm. It's definitely the way Chinese firms look at data. It, it, it increasingly is, as data has become more and more of a currency, those that acquire it have looked to protect it and own it. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the, it comes back to the conversation from earlier with Trump trying to eliminate the flow of it outside of the country because there's a feeling that there's, tremendous amount of value associated with this data. I know it's hard for the average person. They think, what good is my data? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's very good. Yeah, even the non-personal ones. Your data is very good, and my ability to earn money based on your data, also very good. Mm. I'm saying if I'm Facebook or whoever, and it's not just people want to look at it very in a binary way. Okay, I know about you, now I can sell you something. But no, 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 I'm trying to paint a picture of the whole thing. Hmm. You're just a node. You do a thing. You add to my pool. I know the pool now. I make decisions. Good ones. So yeah. anyway, it's a really interesting situation here because obviously the US, U.S. firms, the dominant ones, don't want this. You can see the potential upside for something like this to maintain some... Uh, openness to the digital economy you can understand i'm not saying i'm in favor you can you can understand it but if you lose the investment if those big players say oh god here we go again mm -hmm. restrictions and you know much in the same way that most of them with the exception of of apple booked it from china they say oh we can't we're not even or china kicked them or whatever it was either or if they remove their investment it's going to slow down progress in india Obviously, you, you want player, you want these Google types. Yep. I mean, this is, get things moving. They just, like a gas tank. You remember uh, in yeah. Fast and the Furious with the, you hit the, the NOS button or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah. And it's just jet fuel, man. Uh-huh. So you don't want to turn that down either. It's going to be a difficult negotiation here to figure out and then it turned into an energy drink. How weird is that? Now you're going to drink NOS. That's so weird, by the way. High performance. Yeah, it's so weird. But anyways, uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce are cat categorically, this is their quote, opposed to mandates that require the sharing of proprietary data. They're against it. 
It will also be tantamount to confiscation of investors' assets and undermine intellectual property protections. I mean, they're calling this data is their assets. They've invested in collecting it. Now they say, hey, that's my asset. I own all this data. Hmm. And just like that, the government can say, no, you don't. We all do. Hmm. So it's it could, if it goes through... It could have interesting implications elsewhere outside of India, too. You can imagine the U.S. version of this. If right. Twitter was forced to share with Facebook and Facebook forced to share with Google and and all the other... I mean, you already see how it works between Facebook and Google and Instagram. They got some yes. weird data swapping going on. Now, I'm sure there's some sort of licensing agreement and handshakes going on. But you Google something, I'll tell you what, it's going to be in your Instagram feed. Mm -hmm. You Google anything, you're going to have an ad for it in your Instagram feed. I'll tell yep. you right now. So don't get me started on data again. Mm. I'm just winding down from having, yeah. you know. Xbox Series S console revealed by controller packaging. This could be Lockhart. I know you've been waiting for Lockhart. Lockhart. Your life depends on Lockhart. That's the smaller version of the new Series X. Yeah, it's the cheap. It's the cheapo. We don't have a price yet. But presumably, Not the lead, but cheapo <laughs> version. It's the cheapo. We don't have a price yet, but it's going to be the budget model. It will be the non, the the main way to think about it. It will likely be the non 4K model, right? So 4K, you're going to spend five six hundred five hundred, and then non 4K, I guess you could pay what three ninety nine. We have to wait and see what the right price is pre COVID, post COVID, currently COVID, whatever prices. Who knows what to price anything. Uh, Apple did all right with the SE. I think the Pixel 4a will be okay. Those are under $400. I think $400 right now, just in the consumer mindset, hmm. there's a kind of a wall there spending more than $400 on something. So maybe $399 would be a good price for a budget. And maybe it's a good play for Microsoft. We'll see. But we don't have the actual unit. We have the renderings of the unit. It's going to look like a square box, likely in white. All the, rend all the renders and... Speculation right now is that this thing's going to be white. And then we get this uh, leaked image today of a white controller, which is coming off of a previous leak of a white controller in a person's house mm -hmm. in Seattle or in, in Washington. That was the first leak that we saw. Now we have retail packaging, and you can see it's labeled robot white, mm -hmm. which I don't know. Why would it? What is robot white? You know? Like, why is a robot white? Maybe it's just like a theme. Which robot? R2-D2? Robot, what is, what color is a robot typically? Metal? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the last robot weird. we had in studio was the Boston Dynamics spot, and he's yellow, yellow. and black. Yeah. So, so you're saying there's no, like, robot color. It's just, so it's just, it's just an odd name. All I'm saying is it's an odd name. Yeah, I, uh, I never imagined that that shade. Oh, I know why it's robot white stormtroopers, but they're not robots. They're people. I would call this is stormtrooper white, like that white and black, yeah, that yeah. color white. They're not robots. They got maybe they have some other theme going on. Okay, okay, with, we'll with wait and see. We'll, we'll wait and see. But anyway, the packaging yeah. leaks out, and besides just seeing a picture of the controller, you can also read a little bit on the side of it. It says Xbox Series X slash S, Xbox One, Windows 10, Android, and iOS. So this thing's going to work with everything, which is cool. Hmm. And 
a backwards compatible with your older equipment. And this also identifies that there's two going to be two of the next series with the slash on there, X slash S. Mm. So uh, interesting little finding there. Once again, just this Lockhart thing, give you a quick recap. It will either be 1080p or 1440p. That's current speculation. It won't reach to 4K. That's how you get the savings. And it will have 7.5 gigs of RAM rather than 13.5 gigs of RAM that the Series X would have. Underclock CPU and a lower performance GPU. Uh, how much will this matter at launch? That depends on the titles. If I'm making a title, I want it to run nice on, on both. Mm-hmm. I want everybody to have a nice experience. So I don't know if you'll take that much of a hit on the cheaper unit. Hopefully not, in which case people can save money and then maybe upgrade or maybe buy the other one at a later date when more titles and developers have had more time to develop titles for the higher-end hardware that the Series X would have. Mm -hmm. So far, having looked at the Halo graphics, I think you can run it on either. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Toshiba is officially out of the laptop business. You want to know something, Will? I had a Toshiba laptop. It was a big deal for me once upon a time. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I got a Toshiba laptop. It was a 17-inch laptop. And I was the king of the world for a moment. Maybe I was... 17 or 18 years old and oh man which one was it it was like it looked kind of more like that middle picture with the keyboard there in the offset trackpad but it was a toshiba satellite from many years ago it was a little bit heavy by today's standards but at the time it was pretty lightweight for a uh, 17 inch laptop it had a gpu in it It wasn't a gaming laptop, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to catch a deal. I'm going to pick up a notebook without too much attitude or personality, without the gaming marketing thing going on. Like it wasn't an Alienware or whatever, but it has a GPU. So I can, I was looking for a value point. You know, young Lou with a lot of time on his hands, deep investigation. And I ended up with this one. I ran an external monitor with it. It was a whole, I had a whole setup going on and I thought I was the king of the world. Was this for video editing or something? I did a little video editing. Sony Vegas is what I was using at the time. Oh. But I also did a little gaming, believe it or not. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I did a little PC gaming. PC gaming? Yeah, I did a little PC gaming oh. here and there. So I was the king of the world. But anyway, Toshiba, they're uh, calling it quits. The Toshiba laptop brand, uh, RIP. A little while ago, they sold a major portion of that business to Sharp, the other a Japanese company, and they they actually were making laptops. Thirty five years Toshiba laptops. Hmm. They when they, in, at their peak. Listen to this. This actually surprised me. In twenty eleven, Toshiba's share of the PC market had dwindled. Oh, so, uh, apo- apologies. In their peak in twenty eleven, seventeen point seven million PCs down to 1.4 by 2017. Holy moly, that's a big difference. Yeah. That was the, the smartphone basically came along in between there. And the laptop was no longer the ultimate computing device. Mm-hmm. Ultimate portable computing device became the smartphone. Yeah. And bit into everything. And the smart smartphones did the same thing to the point and shoot camera market. Mm-hmm. Just, a, you know, huge drop off of a cliff. Now, obviously, other other laptop manufacturers exist, and this is Toshiba's numbers, but the industry as a whole has kind of cooled off. 
So Toshiba two years ago sold an 80% of the company to Sharp. And then Sharp was selling Toshiba laptops under the brand Dynabook. I, I don't even know. We may have had some in the studio at one, one time. And they had a they had a document drawn up, a contract that they could later on buy the remainder, the remaining 19% of the company. And then they went ahead and did that. And so that's the end of Toshiba in the laptop business. I'm going to... Uh, pour one out. I'm going to pour one out. There you go. Because, like I said, fond memories over here. And they become part of Sharp. And Sharp's still doing it, so shout out to Sharp. Hmm. Hyundai. Is that how you say that? Hyundai? Not according to the Japanese. How do they say it? Oh, I don't want to butcher it. Yeah, well, you're going to attempt it no, because no. you said it. Hyundai? Hyundai. I don't know Something if that's like right. That. I don't know. We're failing. Listen, yeah, we're, we're, we're failing. Dead. We're failures. But it's not the important part. What's important here is that they're launching a sub-brand called Ionic. And we can definitely both say that. And I like this idea. You create a sub-brand for your electric vehicles because everyone wants flashy new electric vehicle brands. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just see... What did Chevy do? The Volt or the Bolt? I don't want... It doesn't feel futuristic enough. I want a sub-brand. You know who else did a sub-brand, Will? What's that? Who? Volvo. You're a big fan. Oh, yeah. Polestar. Oh, yeah. They're, they're EVs. They call them Polestar, so you can easily differentiate. Oh, we're, you really wanted to get to the correct pronunciation here. Uh, you did not give up. Hyundai. I think you said it right. That's what I said. Yeah, Hyundai. I don't know. So why they put a Y in there? I don't know, Will. Whatever. People guy? are going to say it their own ways. Yeah. Hyundai. Apologies. It's, it's actually easy Hyundai. if you believe this pronunciation over here. Yeah. But anyways, we don't even need to think about it because, listen, we're talking about Ionic, and they're going to put out three vehicles in the next few years, one of them in 2021, one of them in 2022, one of them in 2024, hmm. three separate EVs. Now, just looking at the pictures, Will, which one is most compelling to you? There's one picture here, three different units, quite different in yeah. shape. Their styles are very different. Very different. Oh, man. They Which, all look great, by the way. They all um, look great. I'm a fan of the uh, the left here. The left. For some reason, it kind of looks like a Mazda Miata. Yeah, it has a happy face. <laughs> in a way. It has yeah. a happy face, yeah. It looks fun. It, it looks kind cool. of reminds me of a futuristic version of the car from the Disney stuff. From the movie Cars. Oh, Cars, yeah. Uh, Lightning. Lightning. Yeah. Lightning McQueen. Lightning. It's like a futuristic version of it, and obviously it doesn't have a face, but it has a happy, it has a happy kind of attitude. Yeah, sort of like Wally, mm -hmm. Disney. It's it, very Disney, that one. Whereas the one on the right is borderline Cybertruck lines. Yes, borderline, not quite to the same degree. So the, yeah, the styling is quite different, but they're all part of the same thing. The Ionic Five, Ionic Six, and Ionic Seven. The Five is the crossover on the right, and that's going to come out first. I believe, yes, in 2021. The Ionic 6, 2022, and the Ionic 7 comes out in 2024. The 6 is the one that you like, which they're calling, this Engadget article is calling a slippery concept car. I believe that's going to be the performance model by mm. the looks of it. So it's definitely the one you want, Will. Mm. And that's going to come out after the crossover model, which would be the pro probably the... Um, the big volume model of the bunch. You know, a lot of people, they like the crossover thing mm -hmm. going on on the right-hand side. Then in the middle, 
you have the biggest of the bunch, the seven. That's a large SUV, believe oh. it or not. Now we only this image only shows us the front end of it. And I watched the announcement video and it didn't show you anything. It just talked about how sustainable they are and committed to EV and all the rest of it. But they have they are quoted as saying it would be a large SUV. So that's gonna go up against what the Rivians of the world. It kind of looks like a Rivian as well. Yes. It, with that light bar across the front. The pink color for this one is actually pretty cool. Like if they can mimic it in real life. The which way probably that, not, but the way that it's yeah, reflecting it's got like a metallic it's metallic double color thing going on. So what I think is happening there is a metallic color, but then the way they've configured their light sources on this image right. is such that the light itself is colored. That's yeah. my guess. Yeah, yeah. I'm just guessing. My other curiosity, the performance model on the left, I'm guessing it's a four-door, but I can't tell for sure. It could be a coupe. Mm -hmm. But but the lines on it are very cool. And I would probably pick the same one as you, although the SUV is kind of interesting as well yeah. if you need a little bit of space. All these vehicles are going to use Hyundai's eGMP electric vehicle platform, which they're going to share with Kia, other Korean car maker. This will keep the powertrain below the, uh, below the floor. Opening up what Hyundai calls smart living space, highly adjustable seats, wireless connectivity, and unique features such as glove box designed as drawers. There will also be an, uh, the infotainment and dash will be simple, intuitive, and ergonomically designed. You know you're going to have screens in there. Mm -hmm. You got to have these big, these huge screens now because that's the future. The future is screens. Don't yes. you forget it. Uh, anyways, we can look forward to finding out a little bit more of those as time goes on. Jeweler says he's making the world's most expensive COVID mask. I don't dispute that. Apparently, this thing's going to be worth $1.5 million. It's got diamonds all over it. If you got to wear a mask, apparently, you got to have a certain style to it as well, Will. Yeah. You got to show the people what's happening. You can't have the N95, let alone just a regular surgical mask. No, no. Going out in public. You got to make a statement. And so this is a nerve-wracking type of uh, experience here to place and set each one of these individual diamonds. The, the person that purchased this, they requested the most expensive mask in the world. They wanted to make sure that's what this was going to be. According to this article, the buyer is uh, a Chinese businessman living in the U.S. paying the $1.5 million. Also, besides the 18-karat white gold and all the diamonds, it's 3,600 white and black diamonds, by the way. It can be fitted with an N99 filter. So you can somehow fit a filter into this thing. So it's actually still doing work as well. Oh. That's well, going to be a serious look, whoever's wearing that. How much is the filter? Is it like <laughs> a dollar or something? Yeah, just yeah, just 3M. You just get a box of 3M N99s and slide them into your luxury mask and go out on the town and... I don't know, get a lot of attention, definitely. How are you not going to double take that thing? Look at that. You look like a villain in a Marvel movie or something with that yeah. thing on. Don't forget this one uh, when you leave the restaurant or something. Whew. I mean, think about how risky it is. I guess if you have a $1.5 million mask you're going around with, you probably have a security team or something too. Yeah. Because having $1.5 on your face... I mean, that could result in a couple of rough outcomes for you. Yeah. Once people follow the story and figure it out, what you're doing, yeah. 
That's one point five million on a face. Mm-hmm. Oof, that that jewelry stuff make you nervous, won't it? Yeah. Uh, last one of the day. A mother reco- recovers twenty thousand dollars that her son secretly spent on Twitch donations in a seventeen-day period. Twenty G's will. Now I know you like to get out there and donate to your favorites, mm. but I don't think you ever spent twenty grand. No, no. Uh, you thought about it. For, yeah, it was close. You, yeah, I mean, if 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 the right stream takes place, you never know. Yeah. This guy was donating it from his mother's debit card over a period of time. Donations were made to streamers such as Tifu Gorb, Ewok TV, Atlanta Falcons quarterback Kurt Ben Kurt, and Miami Heat's Myers Leonard. So the NBA players are playing are streaming as well. And this guy appears to be a sports fan as well as yeah. a gaming fan. So he's just, you know, he's helping out the NBA players in the bubble with his mom's credit card. Now the mom said. Hey, that's my life savings you just spent. Yeah. What's up with that, sir? It's exactly what she said word for word. To which the son said, well, that's how it works, mom. Uh, You go on Twitch, you donate. You understand? We got to support Tifu. I support my uh, streamers, mom. Twitch streaming. And I'm sorry about your debit card, but uh, it's the way it goes. That's not what he said. She actually tried to get her money back as you would if you were this mother, and had difficulty at first. She tried to reach out to Twitch, didn't get through. She eventually got through to Twitch's payment processor, at which point she told them the story, and they were willing to do a one-time deal refund and never again. Mm -hmm. So this is your kind of one warning all at once. Mm -hmm. You have been warned. Don't let, you know, get put that debit card away. Yeah. Because your son is out of control over here. With the, with the donations. It's too generous. Yeah. And uh, the other piece of this is that she says that the son is going through counseling now. The mother says the son is remorseful going to counseling, and he is now limited to one hour a day of monitored playtime. How old is he? Son, it is time for your monitored playtime. Hmm. That would Starting be a bit now. embarrassing if you were like 15 or something. Yeah. But I guess if you spent 20, 20 G's on donations, that's yeah, weird. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be enough just to learn his lesson? Now he has to go through some sort of like treatment. Look, man, I'm sure this was a very scary experience for this mom. Yes. If she didn't get that money back, it could have been some rough times. Yeah, but lesson learned. Well, who knows lesson learned? Yeah, maybe, yeah. We don't know. So she probably freaked out and said, I got to get him some counseling because he he obviously didn't recognize how significant that 20 grand was to his mom, his family, potentially his future mm. to just be dishing it out that way. Mm-hmm. Some, some, sometimes there's a disconnect. We don't know the whole story. We don't know the whole circumstance. But anyway, he's going to counseling. He's limited to the monitored daily playtime of one hour. And the stipulation for him to get that hour is that he must do positive activities throughout the day get exercise, and interact with the family in a positive manner. So something tells me the kid wasn't the most upstanding right. type yeah. of kid. In the first, this was like a last straw type of scenario, yeah. I'm guessing. Now knowing more information, I yeah. I no, I'm just think, guessing. Yeah. I don't know for certain. But the question is, to the general public, if your kid drops 20 Gs, 
donating to Twitch streamers. What do you do? To the, this is a question to the general public. What is the consequence for that? Now, she got the money back, but let's assume you don't. What is the correct punishment for 20 grand on Twitch streamers? If I'm a Twitch streamer and a kid does that on his mom's... Now, this would be impossible the way the payment processing stuff works. And I don't know how easy it is to backtrack on that, but let's say it's one donation actually, Will. And let's say you're the Twitch streamer. Hmm. You get the 20 grand and in your terms, it's like, though that's your 20 grand now. But the mother reaches out to you and says, hey, this is what happened. My son did this. That's my life savings. Yeah. But then Twitch says to you, hey, you have to hey, that's how she goes. That's your 20 grand, Willie do. Yeah. What do you do? Well, knowing this situation, I would have to return the money. Uh, but it has to be true. Right? There is some sort of skeptic, you know, skeptical part in in that, but you know, I I would most likely return it so do you want this stipulation in here of would you request monitored daily playtime or positive activities throughout the day or counseling or interacting with his family in a positive manner so i'm the mom now i have to no i'm saying what i'm trying to say to you is you give the money back like you said lesson learned the real lesson learned is you don't get the money back you mm -hmm. screwed up right the real lesson learned this company, I don't think, had to refund her, mm -hmm. right? She gave the debit information. He made the payments. I don't even know if it reaches back to the streamer. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying is, is as a person who made the refund, you would want to know that there was going to be something done about it, right? Right. Yeah. I would have faith yeah. in them. I mean, it's a, weird, it's a weird hypothetical because it's so much money. And if you're a streamer is, yeah. and you're, it's, it's hard to say because if you're Tifu, the 20 grand is different than if you're a, an upstart streamer who yeah. this kid happens to like. It's and like, he, who are you, Mr. Beast? Right he now? he, he blesses you with everyone. 10 grand and it changes your life and yeah. you have maybe even started to spend the money. Mm -hmm. You see how the hypothetical gets a little twisted up. Mm -hmm. The guys that we mentioned in the article, they're 20 grand to them. They're all pretty rich, right? Yeah. But it doesn't mean he didn't hit some small-time streamers with the cash. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't. Does the refund impact their payout, or does it just? Is there some sort of insurance fund for this? We obviously don't know. I know credit card processors sometimes have some sort of insurance fund baked in. There's a lot of details that aren't here, but it's just a curious thought that you could have had the best day of your life as a streamer. And this is if I'm putting the onus on you. Yes. And then I have to turn around and tell you that wasn't real. Nobody likes you that much. It's a kid who's trying to spend his mom's money. It's not even his. And it just sort of changes the vibe a little bit. It does, yeah. So anyways, 2020. It's all kinds of new obstacles for the world to work with. As much as we've talked about this particular kid, look, man, when I was 15 or 16, you don't want you don't want to give me a credit card either. No. So let's young just Lou let young card? Lou. Don't give young Lou a credit card at 15. No, I'm kidding. I probably would have been all right with it. My parents actually probably did, at least to refill the gas here and there. Yeah. They trusted me, and I, you know, I probably went into this into the snacks though. 
I probably refilled the gas and then I probably went into the snacks as well. A couple uh, Toshiba laptops. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying I went into the snacks. I maybe I, I got know. I might have got peanut M and M's or something. Right. Which wasn't on the original request, hmm. and it certainly didn't cost twenty grand. 